0: Well, good morning. I want to thank you all for being here this morning. Um, before we get started, I have a joke for you. Oh my goodness! Come on, people. Why was the math book sad? Because he had too many problems. <laughs> <Doo-doo-tsh>. <laughs> Romans twelve Romans 12, 1 through 2 is reminding us that we don't have to conform to the patterns of the world around us. Instead, we can let God transform our minds and guide our actions so that we can live in a way that is pleasing to him. As the theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. To not speak is the same as to speak, to not act is the same as to act. It's easy to get caught up in our own interests and hobbies and forget about the needs of others. Romans 12 reminds us to put others first, to consider how our choices at home can be pleasing to God. I can't believe I'm doing this. As the celebrity Justin Bieber once said, Love God, love your family, and love others as you love yourself. That's it. That's all you need. Romans 12 is inviting us to offer our lives to God as a living sacrifice and to trust in his plans. That's the good news of the gospel. Through Jesus, we can have forgiveness for our sins and a place in God's eternal kingdom. May we trust in him to guide our actions and choices. And may we always remember the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I got uh, a confession to make real quick. I did not write any of that. A computer... Wrote that entire thing. There's this new technology out there and it's called Chat GPT. And it's an app that you can download. It's now the fastest downloaded app in the history of downloads. And you can ask it any question and it will give you answers like you're talking to another human being. It's kind of freaky if you ask me. And so uh, I didn't ask it this because I refused to make an account with it. But Some other person said, hey, chat GPT, write me a sermon that's 10 minutes long for youth, and it starts with a joke, and it ends with the gospel, and that is the result of it. That's not the entire thing. I kind of snipped it apart, but there is that kind of technology out there. That now you can ask it simple questions and it is going to give you elaborate responses like that. And I'll be honest, it kind of scares me on a multiple of ways. First off, I'm a conspiracy theorist. Uh, Today's conspiracy is tomorrow's reality and I just, I don't trust the thing. I don't trust that it's going to give you true answers, because already they have started asking it kind of questions that lean one direction, and it won't answer those questions. But when it asks it the reverse of that, it's like, oh, let me tell you the answer to it. So it's already showing a little bit of bias. The reason that concerns me is because we are becoming a generation of convenience. We are becoming a nation of convenience. And they're already talking about schools. This this technology took the bar exam and it passed. It took the medical exam and it is technically a doctor now. If a computer can do it, I should be able to as well. But, I'm not. But, I see kids starting to just ask it questions and starting to seek it out for truth. And it's already showing a little slant one way or another. And so to me, it worries me because it's going to have motives behind it. And I see generations coming along that are going to be like, what is truth? Let me ask ChatGPT. And chat GPT is going to be like, well, truth is however you feel truth is. Truth is your own reality. So if it's true for you, that is truth. And it's this made-up construct, really, is what truth is. And it's like, no, hold on. We're told what truth is. God's word reveals to us his truth. Because this is the way that Satan likes to work. He doesn't start by just blatantly saying a totally made-up lie in which we would get caught off guard. We, we would realize that, but he sneaks in little doubts. He starts by causing us to try and question certain things. That's the way he started from the beginning. That is the way he is still working today. Genesis chapter one, 3, verse 1 through 4, it says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. He's got her questioning things. He's coming in with this little, did, did God really mean that? Did God, when he said that you're not gonna die, he's holding something back. And so can you really ultimately trust God. Because he doesn't have your best interest in mind. He doesn't want you to be able to live out of your feelings. He wants to restrict you. That's the play that is going on. And you hear it a lot in other um, kind of circles, where you, you have the progressive movements going on, where they'll they'll say something about God's word, and then they'll say, but does God really mean that? Is that really what God was saying when he meant that? And so suddenly you're taking God's word and you're saying, this is God's word and I can take it to mean whatever I want it to mean. And it's like, no, Jesus tells us, John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter two, where Paul is giving us this warning. And he's saying there are going to be people that are going to come in, and they are going to try to deceive you. And they're not going to come in straight up saying, hey, Jesus isn't the Christ, because we'd stand firm like, uh, yes, he is. But they're going to come in craftily like um, it's Jesus plus something else, or it's jesus but he didn't really mean what he said about that whole live holy about that set your lives apart for him about dying to yourself daily he didn't really mean that it's jesus but it's only like a really watered down version of jesus and they're going to come in and try and deceive that way so we're going to see that in colossians chapter 2 we're going to be in verse 6 through 23 and we'll work through it so i'm just going to ask if you'll join me as we open up in a word of prayer So, Father God, uh, we just come before you, and God, we need you. Not just now, but God, we need you every moment of every day. And God, as this world is starting to just bombard us with so many different messages, help us, as we're about to see, to hold on to you and your truth. And God, I pray that your truth be proclaimed this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. So last week I mentioned this stat, that on a daily basis, you are bombarded with about 8,000 advertisements, 8,000 messages daily. Here's here's this uh, stat that I found. In 1970s, it was 500 to on the high end, 1,600 advertisements a day. So about 53 years ago, you were hit with about 500. Today, it is 6,000 to 10,000 ads every single day that you are being bombarded with. And a lot of them are just trying to sell something, but a lot of them have started taking this concept of that's not really what God meant. So if we can start to slowly change how they see things they'll become numb to it and if we can become numb to it then suddenly we're susceptible to it today's conspiracy is tomorrow's reality let me let me show you this because there's this gradual lie that the media has done that it doesn't just start now our culture is not where it's at now because just one day it was all of a sudden hey drop all morals We're where we're at now because it started years ago where they said, we're going to sneak this in, and then we're going to double it, and then we're going to double that. And eventually, you'll just become numb to it. Here's the gradual lie of media. In 1939, the movie Gone with the Wind had the first swear word ever uttered on TV. 1939 i'm not saying it by the way but 1939 they had the first swear word in gone with the wind in 2013 this new movie came out called the wolf of wall street it had 528 uses of the f word alone the most ever in cinema history They had 70 references to blasphemy of god 200 uses of other cuss words and they had three scenes of graphic violence and that movie topped a lot of charts it was a well received movie in 1999 1991 i'm sorry the first same-sex kiss was aired on public television la law today 12 percent of all main actors and actresses, all main characters are gay. 6% of all characters that have a reoccurring role are gay. So only 32 years ago, it was almost taboo. You didn't talk about that. Today, one in every five characters on television is gay in some sense, is LGBT related. Pre 1920, eight films were about same sex attractions. 2022, 20, 88 films are about same sex attractions. So to say, well, that's not going to affect us, it is suddenly just working its way in. It is the gradual lie. To think it's not affecting youth is a lie. That they are working it in, that they are trying to change Adolf Hitler terrible dude, but he was smart. And he said, if I can control the minds of the youth, I can control the nation. And that's what he did. That's how he suddenly went from being just this dictator to being able to have the Holocaust because it started as the small little thing and people started to gradually let go. It's a terrible thing, but he was smart about how he gained the control of people. I'm not giving him praise at all but he knew what he was doing so why why am i sharing this though because it is a lie that is invading us and it's not just invading our culture it's invading the church it is working its way into god's people with those thoughts of did god really mean for it to be like that you know, does, does God really care who I have relationships with? Because really, God cares about my happiness, right? And now, I know I'm knocking on those, and I'm saying that if you know somebody in that relationship, pray for them. Preach God's love to them, because God does love them. But also, we need to preach repentance. Now, I'm not just talking about that, though, because, you know, we like to get on that hot topic, Come next week and you'll see all the things that God's wrath is coming on account of. And it's not those big ones that everybody's like, (laughs) it's those people over there. It is the little things that we have in our life that God is bringing his wrath for. But these are the big lies that the church is already losing the war to. I found a stat this week that said 65% of Christians believe it's okay to live with somebody before you marry them to sleep around before you marry them. Where God says, do not let the marriage bed be defiled. And the church is already like, you know, we're going to stand firm on straightness, on being heterosexual, but we're going to ease the grip on this. Where God is like, it's this and it's this. I want you to be set apart entirely for me. That you live your life for God. And that is what Paul is addressing in the first part of Colossians 2, where he is saying there are people that are going to come in and they're going to try and deceive you. Don't let it happen. There's one thing that we base everything on, and it's the truth of God's word. So that when culture comes in and they're like, you guys are old school, you're, you're like um, not progressive, but you're restrictive. It's like, you know what? We're faithful to God's word. And that's what I'm going to be. And that's what I invite everybody to join me to be. To, as the world is saying this stuff, and if you look, it's going south really fast. We hold firm to God's word. And so Paul, he tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. As you receive Christ Jesus, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So Paul, he tells us right there, he says there is one way, when you give your life over to Jesus, there's one way for you to walk. And that is in Jesus. Not in the way of the world, because the two don't walk side by side. They actually are in contrast with each other. Paul talks about in Galatians that the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. That if you're trying to walk in both, you are almost better. Hear me out here. If you are trying to live for Jesus and live for the world at the same time, it is a stressful thing to do. Almost so much so that choose a camp. Because to live wholeheartedly for Jesus, you find peace. And at least if you're just like, well, I'm not going to try and please Jesus. I should just live the way of the world. At least you're being honest with yourself. Because John tells us that whoever makes a practice of walking in sin is not born again of God. And so you feel that conviction and it's just that weight coming on top of you because you're not living for Jesus. Now, I would ask you, plunge all the way in with Jesus. Take that dive. Give your life completely over to him. But Paul is telling us, as you learn Jesus, walk in Jesus, not in the world. This is how he closed out Colossians 1, 21 and 22. He said, you, you once were alienated and hostile in mind. You were doing evil deeds. Jesus has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So Jesus is saying, you know what? I delivered you from those sinful ways that you were walking, not so that you could keep walking in them, That'd be like if you spent a lifetime in prison. You were born in prison, and for 48 years of your life, you were living in prison. And then somebody came and opened the door, and they said, you're set free. And you walked out, looked around, I like prison a whole lot more. I'm going to claim freedom, but I'm still a prisoner. And Jesus is saying, you've been set free. So walk in the freedom that you have received. And then he gives a warning in verse 8. He says, as you receive Jesus, walk in that. And then he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, not only are they trying to deceive you with blatant lies, they're trying to do it with subtle lies. They're coming in slow And it's, again, it's creeping into God's body with questions of, does God mean it? Society's moving on. Why shouldn't the church? We advance in our methods, never in our message. The word of God is unchanging. We're told in Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the way that we go out and we share the message might be different. It might be that, you know, it used to be you didn't even sing with an organ. Now we have organs and pianos. The method changes. But what we do is we hold on to the message of Jesus. Because there are going to be those people who are going to try and say, but it's not just Jesus. That's what Paul was dealing with. Especially in Galatians, he was arguing because he was going in and he was preaching, you are justified by grace through faith alone. And then there was another group of people that were coming in and saying, and circumcision, that if you're not circumcised, you're not truly saved. And people are going to come in and it's going to be like, you are justified by Jesus and his work alone. And you have to give so much. You have to attend so much. You have to live this way. And Paul says you are justified by grace alone. Those things come as a result of that. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus and Jesus only. And as he works in your life, your life changes. So because I'm saved, I'm going to start trusting God with a whole lot more. Because I'm saved, I'm going to want to serve God's people a whole lot more. I'm going to want to gather with God's people a whole lot more. But I'm not doing that for salvation. My salvation comes from one place and one place only. That's Jesus Christ and the work that he did. And so they're going to come with their fancy words because Paul goes on in verse 18 and he says, Let no one disqualify you. Because they're going to come and they're going to insist on asceticism and worship of angels. And they're going to go on in detail about visions. And they're going to try and puff up without reason by sensuous minds. Paul says in Galatians 3, he says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? We receive it by faith. That's how we get the Spirit. So then he says, are you foolish? You began in the Spirit. Are you now being perfected by the flesh, by your efforts? So it's like, the Spirit got me up to salvation. Now my own efforts have to get me further. And it's like, no. It's the Spirit got me to salvation, and the Spirit is going to perfect me. It's through the Spirit. It's through Jesus and trusting in him. But again, there are those who are going to sneak in. Jesus even warns us in Matthew 7, 15. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. You know, this is actually one of the biggest topics that the New Testament talks about. This false prophets coming in. Out of the entire New Testament, 27 books of the Bible, if you exclude Acts and the Gospels, so you've got about 23, 22, 16 out of the remaining 22 warn against false prophets, warn against being taken captive by this deception. You think it's important that we hold on to the truth? You think it's important that we realize people are going to try and come in and deceive when over Three-quarters of the New Testament is telling us, look out, because people are going to try and dilute the truth. God wants us to be informed, not ignorant. Ignorance is not bliss in this case. He wants for us to know what the truth is, because that was Paul's prayer at the end of 1 Corinthians, or in the middle of 1 Corinthians, verse 9. He prayed, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. His prayer is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God, because there's going to be false prophets, there's going to be deceptions that are coming in. And we need to know the truth. We need to know what the truth is. And he continues on in what the truth is in verse nine. He says, for in him being Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You wanna know where to find the truth? It's in Jesus. It's in who Jesus is, what Jesus did. We started this year going back to the basics. That is the truth. And then everything Jesus had to say through his word is truth. Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus dis- Jesus is telling us who the truth is. It's Him. It's found only in him and in his word. So before we go to chat GPT to find out, hey, what is truth? We go to God's word. Before I go to society to find some secular counselor and be like, you know, I'm I'm struggling with my identity. What is truth? And they're like, well, how do you feel? What do you feel like? Let me tell you, my feelings lead me astray on a daily basis. If I base my life off of feelings, it would be a terrible thing to do. But we base our lives off of truth, letting truth guide our feelings. And when our feelings go crazy, we always come back to truth. So when I'm feeling like, man, I am a worthless nobody that can never be used for anything, that's my feelings. The truth says I am a child of God who he has called to be an ambassador on behalf of him and he has entrusted me along with you all the greatest mission in the world of going out and proclaiming the good news and making, helping set captives free. The truth is a way better picture than my feelings. And so we always come back to the truth. Because here's the thing, if This thing that we call life has an author. Wouldn't we live our life based off of how we're told to live it? I mean, everything comes with instruction manuals. We don't like to read them. Just yesterday, I was replacing some uh, vent exhaust fans in our bathroom and it was like, pull out the instructions, don't need those. We can do this on our own. Probably could have saved me 30 minutes reading the instructions. Same thing with our lives. There is an instruction manual. That's not all this is, but it has the path to life. John, or uh, not John, Peter, whenever Jesus is left by all 5,000 people, he turns to the 12 disciples and says, are you all going to leave me too? And they say, who else are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. This is how we live our life. Because imagine, just look back on a lot of the heartbreak that you've experienced in your life, that you've done yourself. A lot of it is self-inflicted. Look back at that and be like, you know, God's word actually tells me about that. And if I would have lived my life according to his word, I wouldn't have had that heartache. I would not have gone through that. But instead, we don't. We like to base it on our feelings which lead us astray. And so Paul is telling us there's truth and that truth is Jesus. And he is saying Jesus is the representation, the physical representation of God. He already told us in, First Corinthians, in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And now he's telling us In verse 9, that in Jesus, the full deity of God dwelled. But again, Satan's going to try and lie to us about, no, Jesus was a good guy who said some good things, but don't live your life off of it. So he's going to try and lie to us about that, and we come back with truth. This is who Jesus is. He's also going to try and lie to you about who you are. Oh, you're actually not redeemed you are still identified by your worst sin you are still an adulterer because you looked at somebody lustfully you are still a murderer because you were angry with somebody in your heart you know what those might be extremes even you're still a liar a thief a cheat you are a terrible person is what he's going to try and browbeat us down with And Paul goes on to say, this is the truth that we remind ourselves of in who we are. He said, for in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then he goes on to say, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. It's not the removal of flesh, but it's a changed heart. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, you were dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him. He's forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So there's going to come those times where we just are like, God, you told me what your word says, and I said I'm going to just follow my own way anyways. And there's going to be those times where we... Immediately after that think there's got to be something I can do to be back in right standing with god I mean, you know the catholics say do uh, 10 hail marys and give so much penance and then you'll be able to be back in right standing Um me I like to think maybe if I read five chapters of my bible today Then i'll feel better about myself and god won't be so mad at me You know what paul's telling us? There's nothing you can do That will make god love you anymore There's nothing you can do that will make God love you any less. There's nothing you can do that will make you go from dead to alive because it's already been done. Jesus has done it. And so in those moments, there's one thing. I mean, yes, read your Bible. That is a great thing to do. And pray for forgiveness. Great thing to do. But the ultimate thing that you do in those moments when Satan's trying to lie to you about your relationship with God is look to the cross. Because you see where you stand with God. You see that he did not spare his only son, but he gave him up for us all. And you see, there's nothing I can do. Because there's nothing I could do to start it. It was all Jesus. And there's nothing I can do to continue it. It is all Jesus. But what we are told to do is to hold firm to that because there's gonna be people coming in to try and deceive us. And that's how Paul finishes this out in verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. And then he says, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God it doesn't matter what anybody else might say even if they come with fancy tricks even if they come with really big terminology we hold firm to Jesus because Paul is saying there's going to be people that come to disqualify you to deceive you and what you're going to do is you're going to let go of Jesus when you start to fall for that but he says, hold firm to the truth. I've said it before, maybe you didn't hear it, but the FBI has one way of knowing counterfeits. They have one way of looking around at all these fake bills that are circulating, and instead of trying to be like, all right, this fake one, it looks like this, this fake one, it looks like this, they do one thing. They study the real deal. They know what a true bill looks like inside and out, front and back. And so when they see a fake one, they're like, man, that one, serial numbers don't look like that. It's a fake. It doesn't use this font. It's a fake. Dimensions are wrong. It's a fake. They hold on to the one source of truth. That's what we're called to do. Fake lies out there, feel like Donald Trump. Fake news, you know, uh, fake lies out there, don't fall for them. But it's not a worry of, well, I need to know what all the fake ones are. No. All you need to do is know what the truth is and hold firm to the truth. But here's the question. Here's the application. How are you doing at that? How are you doing at holding on to God's truth? Jesus told us, John 17, 17, sanctify them in truth. What is truth? God's word is truth. How are you doing at feeding yourself the daily spiritual nourishment that you need to know what truth is? How are you doing at focusing so hard at the truth that whenever these fake ones come around, you can spot them easily? Here's a test that I thought of this week. If Bibles were outlawed today and you were never able to open another Bible again, how well would you know what it said? How well would you know the contents of it? Um, In China, there was this lady and this this missionary went over there and he was preaching to them the Bible. And, And they would go through and they would share a couple Bibles as they would read the passages. And then he always noticed that it got to this one lady. And every time it got to her, when it was her turn to read, she didn't have a Bible, but she knew it perfectly. And so he came to her, and he was like, I noticed, you never read your Bible, but you know it. How? She said, the thing is, I've been thrown in prison for the Bible multiple times. And when you're in prison, you've got a lot of time. And so people would sneak in passages to me, and I didn't know how long I would have them before they would be found out, so I just memorized them. And I committed it to memory. So eventually, she knew like eight of the new testament gospels by heart because she was able to read it and then not only did she read it as in well i got my verse of the day she wanted to memorize it and dwell on it and meditate on it so that it's like you can take the physical truth from me you can't take it out of my head and when you do you off with my head i win because then i get the ultimate reality of it how are you doing at holding on to the truth, but not just holding on to it, because, you know, we're Bible Belt Americans. They can't take my Bible. It needs to sit on the table and collect dust and not be opened hardly at all. But instead, we are to hold firm to it. Are you committing it to memory? Are you dwelling on it? And I know the number one excuse, I can't memorize. Well, yeah, not with that attitude. Because I'm sure I could ask you what your kid's cell phone numbers are, and you'd spit them out really quick. I could ask you what your address, I was asked this one, what, what was my address before we actually had physical addresses? It was like route numbers. Mine was Route 5, Box 36. That's 20 years ago, and I still remember it. The thing is, is that we remember what we commit our efforts to. You can do it. It's just, are you willing to put forward the effort to do it? Do you see the importance of it? Because let me tell you, it's important. Because the war is already here for what truth is. And we're called to hold firm to it. And so Paul, he's telling us there is a source of truth. And it's Jesus. And we hold on to him with everything we have. Not to fall for the lies. Not to fall for the deceptions of the world. That we are to walk in that truth. He said, as you have been called, as you have received Jesus, now walk in that manner, living for him. Because he says this in Philippians 1, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We are just told to stand firm To hold on, those two terms are used so many times throughout the New Testament. And so then Paul says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. Hold firm to the truth. Father God, we thank you for giving us your word in our language For God, blessing us with this nation where we can publicly have it and God, we can have it at such a convenience. But God, I pray that we not become numb to it, but God, that as you tell us, we live on every word that comes from your mouth. So may we desire it like the hunger pains that we have for lunch right now. God, may the pains for your word be in our hearts. And may we just staying firm on you. God, help us do that. Help us find our identity. Help us find our purpose. Help us find who we are through you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning. our.